Welcome to C3 Norwood. Uh, as Kirsty said, if this is your first time here, it's great to have you in church. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be preaching this morning, one of the team. Uh, it's been a busy week for us. Uh, you can hear Toby, he just turned one yesterday. So we, we had a bit of a, a gathering for some uh, friends and, and family yesterday for uh, Jemima and Toby. birthdays within a couple of weeks. Uh, so, so that's pretty exciting and another one on the way so life is just going to get more exciting if, if it's each child is exciting then yes it's going to get very busy and fun but I am excited about this morning that's my buzzword for today is exciting uh, as Kirsty said we're on to a, a new series we've been doing uh, children of God uh, be, being a child of God for the, the last few weeks Talking through Galatians, we're up to chapter 4, we're almost, th- we're almost at the halfway point of chapter 4 of Galatians, we started in February, so, so we're getting close-ish towards the end, um, and, but as, as part of that, uh, I want to continue something that Brandon started last week, which was uh, talking about the prodigal son story from Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to tie the two together, uh, it'll, it'll make sense, but just going to read through it and then talk, talk through it a bit more as we get, dig into Galatians, but I just want to recap on it. So Luke chapter 15 verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Everybody say wild living. Let your imaginations run free. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Who knows that's a low day? It's kind of ironic given the culture and how they considered pigs. It's kind of the lowest of the low jobs that he, he could have had. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, I wonder at what stage that came, that, that came about. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, who knows, uh, when you're in one of those valleys, one of those low places, when you come to your senses, you often kind of play out these scenarios in your head. Kind of like, this is what I'm going to say in, in this situation. This is exactly what he's doing right at this point. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Thank you, Toby. (laughs) But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Interesting thing about this part, it's not really in my message, but for the father to see him a long way off, he had to be looking for him in the first place. His father wasn't just kind of going about doing his everyday business. He, He was looking for the son that had gone away. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, 
has this conversation playing out that he had planned in advance. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Wonder what sort of response he expected when he played out this conversation in advance. This is what I'm going to say to my father. and I'm just, just expecting that he'll just bring me as one of his servants. That, that's kind of my expectation of this situation, that maybe, just maybe, he will take me under the household. I'll be a servant, so at least I'll have some food. At the very least. That was his expectation. He played it out. That maybe in a best-case scenario, this is what's going to happen for me. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. It's a symbol of royalty and put on, put on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Give him that ring. That ring stands for authority. It's like a signet in uh, old, old um, seals that were done with wax. That They had the ring that they marked the seal as an authority. So that ring uh, signaled that, that authority, that royalty. And sandals on his feet. Give him some. Give him clothes to wear. Bring the fattened calf. This this is the the best of the best that's been set aside for the the greatest occasion. Bring that fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to pump up the music. They began to boogie on down, they, they had the best band, they had the biggest feast, they had the, the private venue, they had everything they wanted. They were making such a racket that meanwhile the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, interesting tone, when my brother, no, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, so I just wanted to do that, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found. It's an amazing story. It's one, one of... Jesus has got many famous stories, but the prodigal son, it's kind of this term that's used for it's the son that returns, the, the person that returns that was once around and has gone and done their own thing, and the, the prodigal is kind of the one that comes back. It's become part of our, our culture in some ways, that, that term. And as it is with the Bible, it's so rich that you can look at the same passage and get different things out of it. It's so colourful. You can meditate on it, go back to the same verse and and chew over it and read it and mull over it for days on end and get a different thing out of it each day or or let it grow in you. So Brendan talked about this last week and and started us off with the prodigal son story in reference to being a child of God. So the prodigal son, he knew what he had and knew what his inheritance was. He started in the house and he, he knew there was a lot of wealth around and he wanted his share. He took his half. 
But what he didn't know was who he was. He knew what was available to him, what he had, but he didn't know who he was and have that identity as a child of God. We can, the, um, and Brenda talked about we have the opportunity to learn from our father if we stay in the house, but this guy wanted to do it on his own, take his money and not, not sit under his father's wisdom and learn and, and figure out how he got that money in the first place. So he took his inheritance, he splurged it, and then hope was found for him in that low place. It talked about the valley, and often hope is found when somebody hits rock bottom. Then if you come back to God, he embraces you, and, and that response is, as well as him looking out for you and, and putting God in that father position, he doesn't put you to work. He brings you back into the family. Then the second son, he knew who he was, knew the, the house, but not what he had. He knew he was the son of the father, but not what he had access to. And often, when we look at this story, there's, there's a lot of focus on the first son, the prodigal son. As said, it becomes in culture, the prodigal has returned. But this story can represent any of us. It can be you and me, anybody who has gone and thought they could do it themselves. Whether you grew up in church and did your own thing and then came back, or whether you never were, never grew up in church, but you've been doing your own thing and and because God is everywhere and he's, he's searching, he, he's, he's pulling people in, he's, he's calling people into his house. And, and he, this guy was living his own lifestyle. He was partying, he was sleeping around, he was doing, doing all of the, the things that you would imagine someone that might be the furthest possible from God was doing. That's what he's doing, but this can represent any of us in any of the small ways. You don't have to be that, that playboy living it up in Vegas. It can, it can be any of us just doing our own thing, just away from God. Because we are in this age at the moment where we should expect to be able to do it ourselves because we have so much wisdom, we have so much Google, <laughs> we have so much knowledge. It's funny how when you're at parties, you, people are talking about stuff, how much knowledge they've got, the, the quiz, you know, the, the, the piece of trivia and someone pulls out the phone and, you know, actually, it's, it's this way. This, this is the number or the, the conversations get wrapped up because we have access to so much information. It doesn't just kind of linger and, oh, yeah, I, I wonder what that situation is. We're, we're so expected to be able to have the wisdom, the knowledge, the access and the independence to do it ourselves because if we can't do it ourselves then we are weak we are not knowledgeable we are stupid we are untalented whatever it is so this is what the first son represents and the title of today's message is or the series is irreligious and we're going to bring this in talking galatians in a moment and and today's title is A Tale of Two Sons. So we're talking about the first son and the second son. Often we put a lot of focus, as I said, on the first son. But I want to bring in more about this second son and how that applies to us and uh, in particular context to Galatians. Because it is amazing, it is fantastic about somebody returning, somebody being embraced by God. And there will be an opportunity later in the service for anyone who has, hasn't done that 
for the first time or, or maybe you are in that typical prodigal type situation where you grew, grew up in church, you knew God once and you have done your own thing and now he's calling you back in. There'll be an opportunity to respond and give your life to Christ at the end of the service. And when we do that, we're going to ask people to raise their hand and come up the front and, and pray for you because we want to be with you on that journey as well. So I'm just putting that idea out there now because that's going to happen in 20 minutes or so. Because God wants, and something that we want every week is for people to have that opportunity, whether you're the first son or the second son. So the first son represents all of us. At, at, at some point in our life. And we want to dig into talking about the second son. This brings us on to Galatians. So we're up to Galatians 4, chapter 8. Sorry, Galatians 4, verse 8. Getting it all a bit muddled. Galatians 4, 8 to 11. Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now you know God, or rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? It's pretty strong language. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Ouch, Paul. This is Paul writing to the Galatians, if you haven't been with us through this year. And, and starting with the first verse, verse 8, it says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So this is the situation where we're talking about the first son. He, when he's gone away and didn't know God. He had lost that relationship. He was doing all of these things and he was slaves to things that by nature and not God's. See, the basic principle of the world we live in at the moment is to save ourselves, to do it our way. We worship what we think we need to fulfill ourselves to give us life. And by worship, we, we spend our time and our energy and we concentrate on it and devote ourselves to it. Paul is saying that any basic thing can be one of these gods that we can worship. It could be money, it could be sex, it could be mountains, so on, things that we attain to in our life academia, career, family, any of these things can be worshipped and become gods in our own life and become the basis of a religion, of our religion. See, the first son, he went off to start a new life in another country. He was spending his money, as I said, he was gambling, doing parties, he was, had the fast cars, he had half of his father's estate <clears throat> and then lost it all. Spent money on the friends of, uh, and, and they disappear. They, they, they take the money, they, they, they kind of hang around. They, while he's got money, they're there, but when the money starts disappearing, the friends disappear too. They weren't true friends. So he's living this, this lifestyle, we might call it licentious or open, where he just could, d did whatever he wanted to do. And Paul is saying this is what the Galatians, before they knew Christ, this is how they behaved and what they did. The problem with this is that if we're not doing well and not gaining this thing, if we're not gaining money, say money's an easy one to talk about. 
Maybe it's career. If we're not doing well at this thing and it's the thing we're putting our energy and worshipping and making a God this, the thing that we're aspiring to, if we don't do well, then how devastated do we get? As Brendan was saying, you just need a bit more. If you're always just wanting a bit more money, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. If that's the thing you're worshipping and attaining to, then you're just going to be constantly disappointed because there's always just a bit more that could be had. Whatever we choose to, to, uh, to aim towards, to put in this position of what we're working towards and is the thing that's the, the primary goal, whether it's achievement or morality or religion or serving a family, we turn that thing into a saviour, the thing that's going to save us because I will be satisfied when I reach this point, when I reach this point in my career, when I reach this amount of money in my bank, when I reach this level or this age with family around me, when I have the house, when I, when I have the boat, when I have the helicopter. So getting a little ridiculous, but... I'll have three of them one day. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We, we, this thing will save us because if, if only when I'm at this point in my career, then I will have arrived. When I have this money, then I'm good. I'm good to go. But if we treat things that are not God's as though they are, we'll become slaves to them spiritually. And it will bind us up. And we will be stuck and we'll be bound to this thing that we're working towards because we won't be satisfied unless we attain it. So Paul's language is very strong here. He says, and we must feel the full force of it when he says enslavement. Because as we know through Galatians and where we've gone through so far, if anything but Jesus is a requirement for the gospel, then it's not the true gospel. And he's saying if anything but Jesus is a requirement for being happy or worthy, then that thing becomes our slave master. So if anything but Jesus, so being a child of God, if we don't know our identity of a child of God, we've talked about last few weeks, if anything else other than that relationship with Jesus is a requirement for being happy, healthy, we are a slave to that. If it's about having the money in the bank, it's about having the entertainment system, it's about having the house, the right type of car, the career, the job, the being in the right location, being having the, the family size of the family dynamics that you're working towards, having the, the overseas holiday. If that's what is going to make us happy or worthy, then that's the thing we're a slave to. Without the gospel, we're under the slavery of an idol. The thing that we put up is the thing we're attaining towards. In verse 9, the second part of verse 9, Paul says, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? It's not talking about Star Wars, which I'm very excited to watch, just by the way. It's not talking about the force. How is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? He's referring to, it sounds like he's referring to the money, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, the lifestyle. He's saying they're actually they're a weak force, but we get sucked in, we get made a slave to them. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? 
you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. So he's saying to the Galatians, you were once the idol worshippers. You were once seeking the big careers. And when I say that, there's, actually no, there's nothing wrong with a career. It's just what the priority and the motivation for getting there in the first place. He's say, saying, you were, you were once chasing money. You were once uh, sleeping around. You were once just doing whatever you wanted. No responsibility. Just living a crazy lifestyle. And then you met Jesus. And he, but, but why is he saying, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Is he saying, you Galatians, or no, you, you, you were saved. You were once at this point, you were once like the first son, doing all the crazy stuff. And now you're, you're turning back, saying you were once over here doing all this crazy stuff. You met Jesus. And what, is it not worth it? And you, you're turning back and just going, he's actually not saying that. Because as, as we know from the context of the year, the book of Galatians is talking about that you can't add to the gospel. That there's just the true gospel, the gospel of grace. But what he's saying, the book of Galatians is don't get sucked into this biblical legalism and regulations and religiosity. Hence the name irreligious. <clears throat> He's saying because there were false teachers that were trying to suck them in over here, suck them into traditions. They came from all the way over there. They met Jesus. They encountered Jesus and <clears throat> they were in church. And then he's saying, now these people are trying to get you to do certain things at certain times and follow certain rituals and do things certain ways. And as the verse says, observing special days and months and seasons and years. But why is he saying then that you're turning back to these weak and miserable forces, being enslaved by them all over again? He's not saying they're going back that way. What he's saying is this situation of religion and religiosity is just as bad as this thing of uh, living the crazy lifestyle as the first son did. So we have son two represented over here where he's in the house. He's out in the field working. He's doing the tasks that he, his father ordered. He's just, do, just doing the thing. But he doesn't understand his father's out there looking for his son. The second son represents the religion and, and the rules and regulations. He's just doing the thing but doesn't have the relationship. The first son is the one living the crazy lifestyle. And what Paul is saying is one is just as bad as the other, but possibly this one is worse because it's harder to pick up. It's harder to tell. Grow up in church, just a couple of conversations, a couple of things we might do in our lifestyle that oh, maybe I need to do that because I feel like a, I'm going to earn God's love if I do that way. See, that's harder to pick up. It's quite easy to tell when somebody's drunk on the sidewalk at 3 a.m. in the morning what sort of lifestyle they're living. But when they're feeling down the dumps about not praying enough or not not turning up to the right thing or wearing the right clothes to church and any of that sort of stuff, any sort of rules, or that can be more dangerous because it's quieter, it's less obvious, it's subversive. Saying that's what the false teachers were doing. And so, but it's, you're getting enslaved and entrapped by it. They're weak forces compared to the Spirit of God. 
What he's saying is earning your own salvation through this biblical morality and religion is just as much as an enslavement to the idols and the paganism and the immoral practices that are situated over here. Here's the crux of the message. If anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion, we've said a little bit of this, is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because it's less obvious. The irreligious person knows he is far away from God, but the religious person does not. So you could have grown up in church your whole life. Every Sunday, Saturday, whatever time the service is on, go to the prayer meetings, be in connect groups. Do all the right things. That's one of our definitions of religion. It's kind of just doing the practices, but not having the relationship. You could be in church your whole life and not know that you're far from God. Jesus talks about this, and uh, it's not in my notes, but he, he, he talks about t- telling people who have cast devils out in his name that go away from me, I never knew you. So it's possible to be doing things in God's name, but not to have that relationship with him. To grow up in church and think that we're saved just by the fact we, we know the Bible and we're in church. Saying, but if you're stuck in just rules and regulations and not, not having a relationship, it might look like Christian, but that can actually be more dangerous than this crazy lifestyle over there because it's not as clear. The second son grew up in the house and he's working so much looking to do the right thing. And in verse 29 of that story, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. See, what can also happen to us when we're in this religious lifestyle, just doing the right thing year on year on year, like the second son? We get stuck in religion so much, and, and I've had moments where this has happened we see this, the first son come, come back to the house or the person from this crazy lifestyle has come and get saved and you've grown up in church and go, oh, how dare they? Look, they're giving all this attention. Like the pe- People are liking them and hanging out with them. I've, I've been here the whole time. Why, why do they get special treatment? Why do they? You know, because wh- why do we think like that? If we have relationship, then if we're thinking from a, a kingdom point of view and understanding the love of God and being the children of God, hopefully we're not reacting like the second son who says, your son, not my brother, there's no kind of uh, accountability or ownership of the situation. I have relationship with that person. He's saying, dad, your, your, your son... And, and he can't get happy about it. He's, he's indignant. He's angry. He's like, how, how dare he get the best of the best? I've been doing all the right things year on year on year. He's bound to the religion or the process of doing the right things. That he, so much so he loses any flexibility, any adaptability to go, to recognize here's somebody coming back into the house. Here's somebody who's seeing Jesus, seeing what Jesus has 
I can't celebrate with him because I'm kind of comfortable over here and I can't join in that party. He could have run back and given his, his brother a hug and, and joined in the party and joined in, jumped on the stage and had the microphone and you know, having a bit of fun. But he was angry. He called his father out. He didn't want to join the party. Galatians goes on to say in, in verse 9, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? The first part of that, now that but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, does it look like Paul's correcting himself, saying, but now that you know God, or, or, or wait, actually, but now that you're known by God? No, he's actually kind of reinforcing, but flipping it around and saying, actually, this is more important. But now that you know God, or more importantly, are known by God, how is it that you turn back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So Paul was saying it's not so much your regard and love for God, but rather his regard and love of you that makes you a Christian. Because who knows that as humans we're fallible and emotional and we go up and down. We have our good days and our bad days. So our knowing of God can go up and down with our Bible reading, our prayer, our relationship with him. Because it's dependent on us. But God's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, His knowing of us does not change. But what can flip us to these idols, the religion, or we can go either way, we can go to the religious side, or we could go to just doing a bit more crazy stuff, is our insecurity with that acceptance with God. Brendan talking about being a child in the, in the house and, and knowing what he had but not knowing who he was. Our insecurity regarding our acceptance with God is the reason that we can make these idols, these things that, whether it's the religious process and turning up and doing all the right things in church or going and doing our own thing because we're looking for something if we were secure in the knowledge of who God is and how he thinks about us, we wouldn't have to go either way. We wouldn't have to try and make these rules and regulations to make us feel better and give us something to attain to that relationship or go and do some crazy things because we weren't getting fulfilled in the relationship and we just kind of were over it and decided, what the heck. If we begin to grasp that we are known by God, we won't seek to bolster that self-image through our own works. We won't worship any idol. We will love him, the one who knows us. Joy, I just ask you to come up, please. Now, this is my last opportunity to be preaching this year according to plans and, and, and what, what we've got for the rest of the year. And I felt like this morning wanted to spend some time where we're still going through Galatians, but 
this is a, a good summary in some ways of some of the things we've covered through the year. And I think we, we need an opportunity to, to respond to that. In a, few, in a few moments, in a few minutes, like I said earlier, going to give people the opportunity that haven't come to relationship with Jesus, give you that opportunity. Or maybe you feel like that prodigal son and the opportunity to return. But also maybe this talk of adding to the gospel and being religious and doing all the right things has, has struck a chord. Maybe it struck your heart as something to respond to. Maybe what we've talked about for the last few weeks is being children of God has been sinking in. We have a few minutes this morning and we want to take the opportunity for people to encounter God. Because it's, it's one thing to talk about being a child of God, but it's another thing to experience His hug, to experience His hand, to experience, to, to come into the knowledge and that relationship with Him. See, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It could be your first week, hundredth, thousandth time. This word can apply to anybody, from a person who's never been in church, living that crazy lifestyle, to the person who thinks they are the closest to God because they do all the right stuff. Talk <clears throat> the first son situation, whether you've been in the crazy lifestyle or maybe you've just been in church and gone away from church. I want to give people the opportunity this morning to to know that well, in the knowledge that God is out there, He's that Father who's looking. He's not just kind of off doing something else. He's looking for His children to return to Him. Just ask everybody to close their eyes this morning and a question is, in a few moments I'll ask you to put up your hand is, do you want to have relationship with Jesus do you want to be known as a child of God have you been in church for a while or maybe your first time and you, you feel the presence and you haven't known how to respond maybe you've wanted to put up your hand before in a moment give you an opportunity to do that. And a great question to ask is also maybe you feel like if I ask you the question, if I died tonight, would I go to heaven? If something happened to me today, would I go to heaven? And you might think to yourself, yeah, sure. I'll be going to heaven. I'm a good person. I'm a bit like the second son. I do the right things. I'm around the right places. But maybe you're not so sure of what the answer is. In a moment, I'd give you an opportunity too with everybody else to respond and come back to the Father 
come back to relationship with Jesus, to get a knowledge and assurance that you too are that child of God and destined for heaven, to accept forgiveness of sins. And he took it upon the cross and gave us access to that eternal life. Maybe you're like the first son, doing your own thing. Maybe you're like the second one. Maybe you're not sure if you're going to heaven. And you want that assurance, that, um, to be assured that you are doing, going to heaven and have that relationship. If you're any one of those, I just ask you to raise your hand this morning, nice and high, and I acknowledge it. You can put it down something we do every week. We don't want a week to go by without people having the opportunity to respond to Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning that might feel like the first son or the second son or a person who's not sure if you're going to heaven? We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning, respond to the good news. Just ask you to raise your hand nice and high. Just ask the band to come up, please. You can open your eyes. Just ask everybody to stand with us, please. We're going to worship a little bit this morning. And take this as, a, as an opportunity to... We're going to be singing um, No Longer Slaves. The words talk about being no longer slaves to fear, but you can put anything in that position of fear. Maybe fear is the thing that is holding you back. The thing that you're stuck in. But maybe it's fear of losing money. Fear of the career. Fear of family. Losing all of that. Maybe it's the fear that's holding you back. Or maybe it's something else that you're a slave to. It's an opportunity just to meet with God this morning to worship, to look away to, to Him, to bring those things before Him. Maybe we're like that second son and we just need a moment just to realize whose presence we are in, to get out of the field and to know who the, our Father truly is.